Okay, uh, Father, we do thank you uh, for Isaac and Rachel and little Olive. Lord, we thank you for their uh, their faithfulness to you. We thank you for uh, their heart for you, their willingness to go and to see the the work that that goes into all that they're doing. Father, I pray, Lord, as they seek you during this this transitional period, uh, Lord, as they seek to raise funds to, to to pay for the next phase of training, I pray that you would lead them, guide them. We know that you're able to provide for them. We thank you for their relationship with our church and for all the details that they're worried about, whether they um, move to Iowa or it's, it really sounds like they'd like to be here. Father, I pray that you would open up doors for um, a place for them to stay for a year, uh, for job opportunities, and for them to, to really build and to develop uh, partnering, partnering relationships with people as they prepare to go uh, into the field wherever it may be. Lord, I thank you for their, their spirit of just willingness. Um, Lord, I think of the prophet Isaiah standing there with his hands open, just saying, here I am, send me. And so, Father, we, uh, we pray that you would help us as a church to, uh, to, to be a good partner with them, Lord, that we would be in support with them, that, Lord, you would help us to serve them as we're able. Uh, and we just thank you for their family, Lord. We pray that you continue to lead and guide them and direct them in all things. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right, the kids who go to Sunday school can go to Sunday school. <clears throat> we, are, we are beginning uh, Luke chapter 1. I think one of the questions that was raised about support, they find themselves in a little bit of a, a transition, not a transition, but a, a stage in where they are. Um, so, so we've been able to support them but more like in uh, sending money directly to the school. It's, it's difficult for them now because they, they're not set up to receive support. A lot of people care about like tax, tax, taxable donations, um, but you're always able to like make a donation here and just say Isaac and Rachel and we'll, we'll get it to them to school or whatever. And then as soon as they get accepted to the next phase, then they, they'll have the magical email and then they'll be able to go on monthly support, and then we will actually pick them up on a monthly support when we get to that stage. So, um, so we're it's exciting, you know. Like I, Isaac, am I allowed to ask how old are you now? I don't know, twenty five. So I've been here for coming up on eighteen years. So I met him eighteen years ago. Don obviously met him a while ago, longer <laughs> than me. <laughs> like so, it's it's just exciting to see you know this little this little kid with big brown eyes to grow up and now to. Uh, to go out. I remember a, a few years ago and he said, hey, can I meet with you? And he's like, I met a girl. And she really has a heart for the mission field. And I'm like, that's wonderful. He's like, I don't want to screw her up. And I'm like, well, that's a good strategy. You know, that's like a good. So it's really neat to see that them and God working in your guys' life. And I'm really excited for you all. Um, but with that, let's pray. We'll, we'll look at our, look into the time here. I, I have time to go over these four verses and, and communion today. Um, so, Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We, we thank you for the gospel of Luke as we begin this endeavor that will take a few months at least, I mean, a considerable amount of months, if not a year, uh, to get through this, this, this gospel, that this 
this gospel that was written so clearly and written to people like us who are not Jewish, who don't have uh, the, the, the background with Judaism as Gentiles. I thank you for the meticulous work that uh, this, this, this man, Luke, uh, went through to historically research who Jesus was, his story, and to, to present it in such a logical, chronological way between Luke and Acts um, so that we might understand who Jesus is, that we would know as he writes, that we would know the exact truth from eyewitnesses. And so, Father, I pray that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would help us on this journey as we go through this gospel. We are, I'm excited at least, uh, to, to get back into to a gospel or there's something uh, special about reading through and studying through um, the stories that, that have the Messiah Jesus walking and teaching and, and sharing with us about who he is and, and what he desires from us. And so I pray that you would bless our time. And it's in Christ's good name, I pray. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to complete an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay. So we're going to begin just sort of with like a who, what, where, when, why, what do we know about this book? Um, and I, I have the accordion, so I have to kind of look at my notes and kind of go, do we have time for this or do we not have time for this? Um, this is a, a very long gospel. Luke, Luke wrote a, a ton. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by four different individuals, and each of them have their, uh, their own target audience. And Luke is the longest, and if you take the Gospel of Luke and really Acts, which is sort of part two of the Gospel of Luke, it takes up a quarter of the New Testament. So quite a bit of, of space is given to uh, these two books that Luke wrote for us. It doesn't say, I keep saying Luke wrote it, it's titled the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the book itself doesn't say who wrote it, and so you, we have to sort of piece together, sort of deciphering, sort of eliminating people, seeing who the contenders are that are, are actually fit the capacity um, for writing this book. Between Luke and Acts, between their introductions, we can decipher that Luke and Acts, they were written by the same individual. As we get through Acts, like down the road, we'll get to Acts. When you get about halfway through Acts, it it's transitions from writing about in the sort of the um what would it be the third person that it was like they were doing this these things happened these things are occurred you get halfway through acts and it transitions to the first person plural that that or the third person plural i think that that we did these things was it first person third person 
I got a whole bunch of first person. I got it right the first time. Okay, first. That, that we went there. We did this. And so when we start elim- eliminating people for who it could be with the we sections, you can whittle it down to two people, and that's Luke or Titus. And then when you look at the writing, there are things in, in, in Luke that when he speak, uses certain words, he uses words that, that a doctor would use, like, a, like very specific to the medical field and how he writes and how he communicates. And so because of that, historically, the, the vast majority of history just concluded that it was, it was Luke who wrote this gospel. And then so the question is, what do we know about the, the author Luke? He's only mentioned in the Bible about three times. I think I wrote them up there, Colossians, Timothy, and Philemon. There's three sections where he's written by name, where we learn a little about him. We know that he's a Gentile. He is not Jewish by birth. He's not Jewish by sort of uh, his background. And so from the New Testament, he's the only non-Jewish author. So here's this Gentile writing to us, a part of the Bible. He's not, he's not uh, an apostle or anything like that. He is, he is a physician by trade. Historically, he would become known as a historian, mainly because of his work in Luke and Acts, that, that he is sort of this guy who investigated, talked with eyewitnesses, interviewed them, got really fir- a firsthand account about the life of Jesus. And so because of his work, history sort of says, he was a physician and he was a historian because of his work. He ultimately would become a theologian in his writing and very pastoral in how he explains stuff uh, to, his, to his author. He was faithful to travel with Paul throughout his journeys as he connected with Paul himself. Other than that, we don't know a whole lot about Luke because Luke doesn't write about himself. And so then the next question when we start introducing ourselves to a book of the Bible is asking the questions about like, well, when was this written? What do we know about the dating of the, the writing of Luke and really Acts? We know that from Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to the end of Acts, Luke covers about uh, six decades, 60 years of history is, is included this um, the end of Acts ends very abruptly. It just sort of like cuts off. Like it's, it's a real cliffhanger. Um, and at that point, there's no mention of the destruction of the temple, which was a huge seismic event in, in, in the world. And there's no mention of that. So because of that absence of the talk of uh, Jerusalem being destroyed, we most conservative scholars believe that this this letter and acts were written some like around you know AD 60 so so within 30 years after Jesus's death um, because he traveled with Luke a lot of people believe that he wrote Luke and acts from either Caesarea which is on the coast a beautiful place in Israel uh, Paul was in prison there for 2 years so part of his writing could have happened in Caesarea because he was close to, to the Apostle Paul, or, or maybe both and, he could have made his way to, to, to Rome because Paul went to Rome, and he could have been in Rome writing from there. Uh, let's see, the character of the book, looking at the time. Um, it's written by a Gentile to Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. I'm 
very excited and thankful to have a book like this. He frequently explains Jewish things. If he comes, if he comes to a Jewish tradition or custom, he's going to write and explain it as though he's writing or explaining it to somebody who has no clue about the Jewish custom. So he's going to talk to us like kindergartners when it comes to Jewish stuff, which is super awesome because like, I'm not Jewish, so I don't know the Judaism. And if you're Jewish today, you don't necessarily, Judaism today is not the same as Judaism 2,000 years ago. Like, things have changed pretty uh, quickly. Because of the Gentile background, his genealogy of Jesus doesn't begin with Abraham. If you go to Matthew, Matthew begins the genealogy of Jesus with Abraham because that's super important to Matthew. The, the audience of Matthew is the Jewish people. Because he's writing to Gentiles, he begins his genealogy back at Adam, the first human that was created. And he sort of starts at Adam, goes all the way to Jesus, sort of explaining how Jesus came to being. When, when uh, he references Jewish things like scribes, um, rabbi, he uses different terminology. He uses Greek terminology. He'll say lawyer. He'll say teacher to make it more understandable to us. We get a lot of dates in Luke and Acts because he's very diligent to tell us who the emperor was at the time. So we see the changing emperors, and because of the historical events that he, he puts into the story, an outsider can come to the story, come to the story, and look at these historical events and sort of, you know, cross-check to sort of give a dating of where they were in history. It's very, very helpful uh, for people. Luke also is very kind for some. For you know, I am going to hold my. I'm running short of time. <laughs> Let me just say he doesn't list a whole lot of prophetic events. Like Matthew's going to list all kinds of prophetic events, like all through. This thing was prophesied in the Old Testament. Then this happened to authenticate who Jesus is because the Jews really care about that. Gentiles, we could care less. Like, it's like, just tell us the story. And so he sort of, there's, there's virtually no prophecy sort of authenticating Jesus because for a non-Jew, that wouldn't be really important. Now, I do think it's super important because having the scripture, the prophecy, very fascinating, very important, but that's not the thread that he was going through. And so then we come to the very first four verses. Sort of, he gives his purpose statement. I'd love these first four verses. They should get us really excited about this book. We should always, as we're going through Luke and Acts, have these sort of, these four verses in our mind to understand sort of the heart and the purpose that Luke wrote about. And so he begins, and as much, as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us. So right away, Luke begins with Jesus stepping into history was seismic. It was totally radical. He totally turned the world, uh, you know, our, our, our saying goes upside down, but the reality is he turned our world right side up. Um, Everybody, believers, non-believers, Jesus had an impact. Our, 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 our dating system, everything changed when Jesus came. So many people wrote and documented 
the life of Christ. There's, there's so much historical evidence for Jesus, more so than even like our, our first president. If you go to try to find the data about America's history, which is super, super near history, like we are a very, very young country. We're only a couple hundred years old. And the amount of information that we have in writing for our founders is very, very, very slim. When you look at the, the historical writing of Jesus, it's mind-boggling how much data they actually have. So he says, he just starts out with, there are so many people who have sought to undertake this task of documenting the things that happened during our lifetime. I can only imagine the privilege that these people had to live, to walk, to see, to experience the Messiah. Like what a responsibility to humanity that they have to leave to us the historical record of what happened. He goes on to say in verse two, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses as servants of the word. And so now the author, believe it to be Luke, he's sort of stepping back and away from the early events. So as we go through Luke, I mentioned earlier, like he's talking sort of distance. He wasn't there. He wasn't a part of it. He came in later. Then he starts talking in the, the things that we saw. So he's saying, the information that I have, I received from these people. I interviewed them. I talked with them. They were eyewitnesses. They were servants, slaves of the word. They gave everything. These were facts that he received. He cross-examined. He wasn't playing some game about the thing that he's about to write. He did his, he did his due diligence. This is a man who devoted everything and painstakingly to get the facts and to get everything right so that he could record it for us. Verse three, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order. So he investigated everything carefully. And his aim was to take everything that he took in, to write it out in a way in consecutive order so it's clear. Like on Tuesday nights, we're going through John. John is like, the chronology of John is like all over the place. That wasn't the purpose of John. That's not, John's purpose was very clear in writing us to lead us to Christ so that we would believe, so that we would have salvation. And so he sort of compiled Jesus's life. It was all garbled up and he sort of wrote in a way to, to point us to that direction. Luke's like, no, no, no. We're going to start at the beginning because he watched a musical and he heard that, that was the very best place to start. You know, like the, however the beginning of that song goes. Like, so he's going to start at the beginning. He's going to move chronologically through the story of Jesus's life and then the early church. And he says, most excellent Theophilus. So there's a whole bunch of, uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of like speculation over who this was. I tend to hold that this was a real person. It means lover of God. If you take Theophilus and what does it mean? It means lover of God. And so some suggested that this book is written to all of those who are lovers of God. You could probably make a case for that. However, uh, he puts this most excellent Theophilus. And so it seems like it identifies him as an official um, that he would demonstrate respect to. 
And so it could be some official that holds a high-ranking position that's very curious about the things of Jesus, but he has to protect his identity. And so I believe, I think loosely, it doesn't really matter, like if you go the other way, but that he's writing to this individual to lay out exactly the things that happened during Jesus's life. Verse four, so that for what purpose? So that you may know, uh, that should grip us. God wants us to know certain things. God wants us to have the information about the things that he's revealed. He cares about our mind. He cares about what we think. As you read through the New Testament, there very much is a battle for our minds, what we think, what we put into our thoughts, because as we put things into our brains, it affects or it should affect how we live out our lives. And so he writes right here, I'm writing this out to you in consecutive order so that you might know the exact truth. This isn't, that's eh, close enough for government work sort of thing. Like, like we're, we're like masomenos. We kind of got the gist of the story. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm writing this out in consecutive order so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So as Luke goes through his story, sharing with us about the life and death and resurrection of Christ, he wants it to, to be very clear to us that he didn't write this sort of just like a on a wing and a prayer kind of thing and sort of like, I heard these things, so I'll just kind of regurgitate what I think I heard. No, this is a guy who devoted his life to interview people, to research, to find out the exact facts, to see what one person said, how did another witness say, how do these things align? And as he took in all of the information, he laid it out in the most precise and accurate way that he could so that we might know the exact truth about the things that we have been taught. It's beautiful. And so what do we do with this passage? I I think number one is as we go through the Gospel of Luke, as you go through any book of the Bible, I think that we should take it very seriously. This this isn't just a bunch of uh, scam artists that are trying to rip you off. Like These are people who gave of their entire lives. The vast majority of people that we read from in the New Testament, these are people who experienced Christ, professed Christ, shared Christ, had the culture coming against them saying, stop it, and they wouldn't stop it. They say, stop it again, or we're going to kill you. They say, do whatever you got to do to me. I'm not going to back down. This is what I saw. I saw him. I touched him. I witnessed him. These are the things that he said, and I'm not going to turn back. And so, so much of the things that are written in the Bible are written by people inspired by the Spirit who wrote and had their blood spilt, and they wouldn't back down. And so we should take this seriously. My prayer also is that as we study through this, especially going through the Gospels, I love going through the Gospels. I love sort of circling back and getting close to the person of Christ or the Messiah, that we would draw close to him and we would understand who he is, what he's done on our behalf, and this relationship that we now have through him. And so with that, we're going to take uh, communion uh, today. And so uh, the first part of communion is sort of a time where we come before God as communion is for those who have accepted Christ as their Savior. For those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, we still, um, we still struggle with sin. We're, just, we're not sinless people. We are saved people. We are saved sinners. 
And so this is a time where we can confess to get right with God, to realign our thinking and our hearts with him. And so the guys are going to, or guys, the, the team, I don't know if it's guys and gals, whoever's coming forward, they're going to come and they're going to pass out the elements. As the elements are going out, just go ahead and take this time to confess your sin to God. Uh, if you can't think of anything, you can confess your pride. Um, you could just ask God like things that you're, you're holding back from giving to him. Father, as we take this time to, to reflect on who we are and who you are, um, as we walk close to your holiness, our unholiness is so often revealed. We thank you for the blood of Christ, which cleanses us. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, we read, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Father, we thank you for this truth that we, in Christ, are forgiven positionally. And as long as we're in this life, with this flesh, we have this this dual nature within us, that we have our flesh and we have your spirit within us at war. And, Father, we thank you for the work that you began in our life, that you are moving us to be more and more like Christ. But we acknowledge, Lord, that in this life we struggle. Uh, We struggle. uh, Maybe there are actual sins that are holding us back, sins as we sort of think and define them. Or maybe there are other things, Lord, where the sin of having a lack of faith and not trusting you through things that we look at, barriers and concerns and worries and doubts. And so, Father, we come before you and we acknowledge our weakness. Uh, We are grateful, Lord, that you are faithful and that you are just such a gracious and merciful God that you are so kind to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us as new through the blood of Christ. Father, as we wrap up today with Uh, Taking the Lord's communion, we are reminded, Lord, of uh, Jesus' body that was broken for our sins, that he absorbed the weight of the world's sins once and for all, that this is a, 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 a done deal, that he did it. It doesn't need to be repeated. This is not like the sacrifice of of bulls or animals that we read about in the Old Testament law. That had to be done over and over and over again. But that Jesus' death on the cross was once, it was final, it was sufficient for us. And so, Father, we thank you for his body that was broken, his blood that was shed. We thank you that through grace, uh, we have access to this eternal covenant, which the, the juice represents in our hands. Father, we pray uh, that you would help us to really to think the way that you think, that we would see the way that you see, that we would understand that we are indeed forgiven. You bear no grudge. You have forgotten about our sin as far as the east is from the west, not because you've shoved it under the, uh, the rug, 
but because Jesus has paid for our sins once and for all. Father, we pray that you would help our thinking to change so that we would know that we are forgiven, that we would stop beating ourselves up for our past, that we would experience forgiveness truly. Father, we pray that you would help us to be a people that sees other people through Christ's eyes as those for whom he died. Father, in Corinthians, you tell us that we're to confess our sins with communion. We're told to reflect upon the the body and blood of Christ and that we are, as long as we do this, that we are to proclaim the death of Christ until he returns again. And so, Father, we... Uh, we thank you that this day that um, we're able to hear uh, from Isaac and Rachel about uh, your calling in their life to go um, wherever it is that you lead. And Father, as we hear that, we acknowledge that we have a responsibility as a church to them and their desire to serve overseas. And we have a responsibility also to those around us, Lord, in our, in our neighborhood, at our places of employment, uh, wherever it is that our lives intersect with other people, that we have a responsibility to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us courage to be lights unto you into this, in this world. I pray that you would give us wisdom with our words, give us wisdom with our actions. Father, we pray that our lives would draw out the question and those that don't know you, who is this God that you know? What is it about him? And how can I know him? We pray, Father, that our lives would do that for those around us. Father, we struggle. And so we look to you for help. We love you, God, and we are so thankful for the work that you have done in our lives. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.